Well, good evening everyone, nice to see you all. Uh, my name's Chris Wicklands, um, I'm a senior pastor of a, a, a few churches down near the Fareham area, so one in Fareham, one in Gospel, one in Purbrook, and uh, so I've been asked to come up here and to, and to, to share some stuff with you, and uh, just a little bit about me, um, I am married, I've got a beautiful wife, who couldn't make it tonight unfortunately, um, I have five children, and uh, yeah, it's great, praise the Lord, hallelujah, more the merrier. And uh, so five children, and uh, yeah, we've been married for a, for a long time, and uh, we've been in ministry now for about 12 years, and uh, God uses me day to day as a pastor, but every now and then as well, um, I, God uses me in, in the realm of the prophetic, especially for things regarding our nation and the church and this nation, etc. And so occasionally they let me out to uh, come and do talks like this as well. So it's, it's nice to be here. Uh, and tonight I want to talk about in pursuit of God. And uh, so if you've got a Bible with you, let's uh, turn to a famous passage in Scripture, which is John chapter 17 and verse 3. So John chapter 17, verse 3. And, you know, sometimes we, we become so familiar with things that we don't see the wood for the trees. We just fail to see things. And this is just so profound. For this is eternal life. Now, if I say to you, what's eternal life? Most people go, well, it's living forever, isn't it? It's just like going on and on and on and on. But that's not what it says here. I mean, eternal life is not just about a, a quantity of life, but a quality of life. And it says, for this, this is the key element that makes eternal life what it is. This is eternal life. To know you, the only true God and the one you sent, Jesus Christ. So the whole essence of eternal life is in, intrinsically about knowing God. Now, when I, before I became saved, <laughs> I was a practicing witch and I had quite a dramatic encounter where I, I was radically saved from witchcraft to Christ. And Jesus came to me one day and he said to me, and he said these three things, and he, he did it on three occasions because I was a bit of an idiot in those days and didn't really understand what he was saying. But he said to me, he said, stop what you're doing, come to know me and you can be forgiven for this. So I stopped what I was doing, I got forgiven and I've spent the rest of my life since then growing to know God. And over the years, I don't know about you, but I think it must be true. You know, some of you, 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 I'm looking around the room here, you're seasoned Christians, right? You've been around for a few years, you've seen some stuff, you, you've seen some fads in Christendom, you've seen some stuff come and go, and you've seen some things stay. But anyone who's really got a heart for God must surely, more so than ever today, be discontented with their walk with God must surely be discontented, not that, not that what you're doing is wrong or anything, but something, something down within you where it says in the Psalms, deep calls unto deep, that there's something within you that's resonating saying, this isn't enough. What the expression I'm seeing of Christianity today, there's something about it that I don't know what it is, but something's not quite right. Something's not quite working. I would say more thanks to COVID, 
People are disengaging and disenfranchising themselves from church and from the faith, probably than I've seen in a long time. We're seeing established churches disenfranchising themselves from apostolic tradition and from the scriptures. I mean, we're seeing this with the Methodist Church and the Church of England. And why is this? Why, why have we gone so, how do you know? And we hear of really people like we'd ex- call famous preachers. And then they've become like hyper-liberal. And you think, how, how did they go from there to there? I don't understand. And, and it seems that along the way, so many of us have, are, are looking around in bewilderment. I mean, if there's things that are going on today that 20 years ago, if you said to me, the things that are going on in Christendom today, you said 20 years ago, that's how it's going to be 20 years. I'd laugh at you. Okay, that's never going to happen. That's just, ne- how could anyone even know? No one would ever do that. You know, but here we are. Because we have lost, I think, in part, we've lost sight, really, of what this is all about. Christianity, the very heart of it, you see, we, we, can, go, we can go down the whole social gospel thing and get sidetracked with that. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with the social gospel, we need that. But what I'm saying is we can focus on secondary issues of our faith and make them the primary issues, and then 20 years later wonder how we got down this road and how did we end up here? Because we become so focused on a secondary issue that we lost sight of the primary issue and now we're in a place where we never intended to be and this is now the new normal. And so I'm going to sort of just meander around this evening and just share some things about my pursuit of God. Because I really believe fundamentally that the church in the UK is now, well it's over the tipping point. And everything has come as far as it can go. I believe the charismatic church has come as far as it can go. I believe the traditional church has come as far as it can go. So it's like, so where do we go from here? And so a lot of people are like, well, what's the next latest fad? What's the next thing? Let's look for the next move of God. And yes, we are looking for the next move of God. But I personally think if if what I believe God showed me is correct, the next move of God may surprise a lot of us, especially here in the UK. Because I believe God is going to blend his church together in a way that we have not expected. You're going to see the ancient church and the modern church come together in a whole new way. Because you see, the charismatic end of things have got some wonderful things. But the traditional church have got some wonderful things. But we've divorced ourselves from each other. I don't want nothing to do with you and I don't want nothing to do with you crazy, crazy charismatics. But we, in the charismatic camp... There's things that they've got that we need that we're lacking. And there's things that, they've, that they need that we've got that they're lacking. And God wants to bring a unity in his church. See, John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer for his church. And he says, Lord, I pray that my church will be one, even as we are one. And let's be honest, if we're, if we're really honest with ourselves, we, in all in varying degrees, have been guilty of keeping God's church not one. I don't agree with them. They're this. And I don't agree with them because they believe that. Now, I'm not talking about the cozying up to apostates. I'm talking about, you know, again, focus on secondary issues. But the thing that I wanted, that I felt God wants to encourage us with tonight is to come back to the centrality of the gospel, which is knowing God. But you see, knowing God isn't about getting preached up real good. Knowing God isn't about a really awesome worship session and and loud music and smoke machines and glitz and glam and the big names. Because often 
Be still and know that I am God. But we're charismatics, right? The last thing that we want to do, eh, we couldn't possibly, eh, I couldn't possibly be in a room and be quiet. I, I gotta, I've got to pray in tongues. I've got to say something. I've got to declare something. I've got to decree something. Uh, I, I, need to put, I need to put the radio on. I need to put some worship music on. Goodness me. If, if, if I could just sit down in a room and be still with the presence of God. Hallelujah. It can be the most scariest, frightening thing to do in today's Western Christianity, which is completely ludicrous. You see, God's over the years, so this, this call is to come to know me, has taken me on this, kind of, this wild adventure. So back in 2018, I, I, I got up to preach a sermon and a nice, cosy pastoral sermon, you know. And then this word just dropped into my, my, my heart and I knew I had to give a word. And for the next 45 minutes, I just prophesied this prophecy. And in this prophecy, it said about how Theresa May would be stepped down, how Brexit would happen. And then what would happen to the church after that, you know, how things would start falling apart. But then actually God was going to do a, a new movement and a new revival. And I started speaking stuff that I had no concept of what I was talking about. God started saying, I'm going to reinstate monastic communities in this nation. I'm like, what even is a monastic community? I'm going to reestablish houses of prayer across the United Kingdom. And I'm going to start blending the ancient with the modern. They're going to come back together. And I'm like, what, what is this? And since 2018, God's been leading me on this merry walk, discovering all kinds of things that we've lost. You see, every move of God has, unfortunately, with it, come a knee-jerk reaction to what went before. So I'll give you an example of a bit of church history. So the church, interestingly, was only one church for a thousand years. Can you believe that? For a thousand years, there was only one church. Okay. Not as in one building, but there was only one section of Christianity. Then, due to a disagreement between the East and the West, you had a, a breaking away. And so the East moved into the Eastern Orthodox Church and then the Catholic Church carried on. And that became known as the Great Schism. That happened about 1000 AD. Then everything was good and cosy for 500 years. Then came the Reformation. And since the Reformation... We, Protestants, have now managed to come up with over 150,000 different denominations. <laughs> Can you see there's a problem there? And so, and every time we've done the divorce, we have lost and booted something out. So, for example, you know, the, the, when the Eastern Orthodox went away, they left things and they booted things out. Then when came the Protestant Reformation, they were like, they booted loads out. Oh, well, we don't want any of that stuff because that's all, you know, it's a, just a knee-jerk reaction to anything that even remotely sniffed of Catholic. We want nothing to do with it. So then you had the Protestant Church and they just started pretty much doing their own thing. And then, then, then in time you had like, well, we don't agree with that principle or that doctrine. So now we're going to boot you out and we're going to create our own denomination and so on and so forth. And then we're going to be, then we'll be the, the Church of England and then it's going to be uh, Baptist, the Baptist Church and then, and then it's going to be the Methodist Church. And, and every single time it was like the church was getting narrower and narrower and narrower because it was, re it was releasing and jettisoning off its own history, its own culture, its own past, its own identity, to the point where we are living in today's modern evangelical Christianity and we're this little slither of a veneer. And we think, if I may be so bold, that we're right and everybody else has got it wrong. Do I get an amen? 
Well, some of you are like, no, I totally, I totally disagree. I think we are right. Okay? But, but we're left with this thin sliver of Christianity. And, and, and so now we're left with this, this, this thin vine- chipboard veneer. And, and that's it. That's your Christianity. That's your Christian walk. Hallelujah. Let's go do church on Sunday. Let's sing some songs. Let's pray in tongues, read a Bible every day, do a bit of quiet time and just get about your everyday work. And maybe we'll have home group in a week. And that is Christendom. Some of you are probably thinking, what's wrong with that? (laughs) You haven't lived if that's what you're thinking. Because there's there's an experience in God that that is just waiting to be discovered. But because we have jettisoned off so much of our own past, we have no idea what there is out there in God. Because there's no reference point. And occasionally you get the odd crazy charismatic and they seem to have this really crazy deep walk with God. Don't you always get one of those, don't you? And you're probably thinking it's you, isn't it? I don't know. Right. Or it's him at the back there. You know, the crazy guy. Okay, you're always you're always going to get those. But the because just maybe, just maybe every now and then you're going to meet somebody that has a quality about them. And you you spend time with them and you just know that these are people that spend time with God. Because you see, there's no shortcuts to this. What, what I'm presenting to you tonight and what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us all here is there's no shortcuts to intimacy with God. There's no shortcuts to me coming to a place of intimacy with my wife. In other words, I had to, when I first met her, um, I had to get to know her. And then it came to the sort of the whole courtship thing. And then I got engaged to her and then I married her. There's a process, right? Now, people seem to get super spiritual with God. Oh, yeah, but it's not like that with Jesus. Well, hello. If if people are created in the image of God and God is a relational being on a level way beyond you and I are. And if it's appropriate that we must go through steps of, of process to come to a place of intimacy with our own spouse, then surely the same is with God. And just as one isn't going to open themselves up to anybody unless it's someone they deeply trust, then surely the same is with God as well. But we don't have this intelligence normally. We have this kind of super spiritual thing like, yeah, I can come boldly to the throne room of God and I can just go straight in there. Well, yes, you can. But when it comes to like even the 12 disciples, there was one disciple whom Jesus loved and he was John and he was leaning on Jesus' breast on the night that he was betrayed. He was listening, had his head against the very heartbeat of God himself. And this is what God is calling us to do. I want you to come to be in a place with me where you will hear the heartbeat of God. But you see, the way to doing that might be a lot more surprising than you think. So I run a thing called prayer school uh, every Thursday, and I've been running it for about 22 weeks now. And it's based on many years of learning that, I, that I've, I've learned in, in things of prayer. Because you see, when you first get saved, this, this is your discipleship pack, right? Okay, well done. You're born again. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Now, this is what you need to do, right? As a Christian, you now need to read your Bible. Yeah. You now need to go to church. Yeah. And you now need to pray. How do I do that? I'll just talk. Doesn't matter. All right, off you go. And that's it. That's, that, is, that is our discipleship program today. A, B, C, Get your Bible, get in the church and pray. Okay, but one of the things that we don't do is disciple people and how to pray. So there are three types of prayer. There's vocal prayer. 
There's meditative prayer and contemplative prayer. Charismatics, we can touch on the contemplative. You know there's times when the presence of God is in the room and you just sat there in stillness. That you're, just, you're just starting to enter into contemplative prayer. But we're really good at vocal prayer, aren't we? Hallelujah. Whether it's praying in tongues, praying in faith, decreeing, decreeing declaring, glory be to God, uh, shouting out loud, all these kind of things. And they're all important. I'm not in any way denouncing them. And then there's the place of meditation. Uh, where we learn to meditate on the scriptures and, you, and make a prayer language through the things that we're meditating on and that God is speaking to us and stuff. And so I've learned over the years all these different disciplines of prayer. And it's taken my walk with God to a whole nother level and to a whole nother realm that I was always, there was something within me that I was always never content with. I become a Christian and, and there was just like, I don't know what it was. It was like, what is it? You know, and I remember, I remember listening to this preacher saying once, you know, well, you know, you, you, you've got your Bible, you're saved, you're filled with the Spirit, you speak in tongues. Well, what, what do you want? I was like, but that, that's not enough for me. There must be more than that because I know there's more than that. Because when I used to be a witch, I saw the power of the dark side. So now I'm in Christ Jesus and, and taken out of darkness into his glorious light. There must be so much more here. But the general uh, plateau from Christianity that where I was walking it is that there wasn't really anybody that was really, you know, teaching us or showing us that there was a higher place. So I was constantly frustrated. And in my younger years, I was angry with the church leadership because it's like, must be you guys. You're doing something wrong because I'm not getting something that I'm looking for. And so, my, you know, I have apologised to all these church leaders. I'd be pleased to know because I, I just didn't understand. But deep down within me, my rebellion was being caused by the fact that I was desperately yearning to know God. But I just didn't know what it was I was yearning for. And, and I think that's in part why people are getting disenfranchised and leaving the church because they know something's not right, but they don't know what it is. And they think, oh, it's the church. It's, that's the fault with, the, with, with Christianity today. But deep down within us, many of us, not everybody, but many of us are actually wanting that deeper call with God. Because eternal life is knowing the Father. So I've been running this prayer school now for about 22 weeks. And, and it's, it's years and years and years of learning. And I, I'm just imparting this to people. And these are Christians. A lot of these are Christians. They've been Christians for like some of them a long time, you know, 20, 30 years, etc. And the things that these people are saying, they're like, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years. And, you know, they, these aren't spring chickens. They, they're, they're, they're not idiots. They, they, they've prayed hard. They've done lots of things. And they said, I've never in all my life experienced the things that I'm experiencing God here than I've, than I've ever experienced in my whole prayer walk all my life. And to me, that was like, what have you been doing all your life? And I know that sounds really arrogant. It just, it just surprised me that people I assumed were, were deeply spiritual in God were actually themselves knowing that they're, even though that they were in some respects deep with God, but yet still so profoundly shallow with God as well and were just longing to get deeper. There was another woman and she said, you know, in all of my life, I've never really got church. You know, I know that I've got to be a part of it, but it's, I'm just great against it. And she said, but being in this room has enabled me to understand church in a whole new dimension. Because you see, we think, and it is important that we do this, you do need to spend time alone with Jesus. But also, 
God wants us to spend time alone with Jesus together. So one of the things that we, we do at this prayer school is I, I, give, I teach people either about contemplation or meditation, and then we do it for, say, 20 minutes, half an hour. And then we spend another half an hour going around the room and sharing what God showed them. But you see, the thing is with God, he's not interested in you and I getting nice goosebumps and a nice experience of God. Because, you see, the Holy Spirit's job is to make us Christ-like. And so the Holy Spirit was immediately pointing things out in people that they didn't even know was an issue. It's fascinating. You know, so, for example, one woman, she was meditating and she said in her meditation, she, she immediately, you know, because we, we do all different types of meditation, whether you're actually in the story or you're doing Lectio Divina on various scriptures. In this particular instance, it was, it was like, uh, it was on the ship where the, where the waves were rocking and to and fro and people were frightened they were going to drown. It was that story and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. And in this woman's meditation, she immediately ran to the wheel of the boat to grab control of it. And it's like, and it, it just like the Holy Spirit just dropped straight in and I just spoke to her directly and I said, can you not see what this vision is telling you? That, that your, your, your nature, your disposition is you want, if, you, if you're in a situation that looks like it's crisis, you would rather try to control the situation rather than letting God deal with the situation. And so these meditations reveal a lot about themselves. And, and she said, you know, being in this place, allowing myself to be opened up like this in front of other brothers and sisters, allowing God to speak to us like this, but in the context of community, not just on my own little personal quiet time, has been so powerful. And because of that, it's helped to really understand church on a profoundly more deep level. Because if we're honest with ourselves, one of the things that we're really good at, and I'm not criticising anybody here because I am guilty of exactly the same thing. I've played this game for years and years and years as a pastor, right? Is that we, we, we think, how can we generate community? I know, let's have a meeting. All right? So it's like tonight, this is, this is a meeting, right? Um, and, 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 and this is good. We need to do things like this. But, but that's good on one level. But God wants to bring a depth of relationship. You see, it's, it's, it, you see like the Ten Commandments, there's five that refer to God and your relationship with him and five that refer to man. And if you, there's two commandments, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the, the second one is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. And so there's this aspect where in churches we've taught people the discipleship of prayer is you have your own little quiet time with Jesus. And yes, you should. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. But have you ever considered a whole new level of corporate prayer where in that place of prayer you are allowing the spirit of God to expose you in front of other brothers and sisters and they're being exposed before you. And suddenly you're being knit together by the spirit of God. Each of you are getting revelations that the other one has never seen before. And you're all learning and we're getting revealed things by God together. And you're growing together and you're growing in intimacy together and growing in the depth of the knowledge of God in a new way that you've never experienced before. That, brothers and sisters, is a whole nother level level to church that we just don't experience and yet I personally believe it's something that God wants to bring back to his church and so with these kind of disciplines that I've been teaching you might think well you know I don't really see how that is really relevant to you know this etc but actually you have to be intentional okay if if it's date night right for husbands and wives guess what Date night doesn't just happen by random accident, like, oh, wow, how did we end up here at this restaurant and hotel? I don't know. Hey, let's have a date night, okay? That doesn't happen. If you don't be intentional 
then it's never going to happen. Or it might happen once in your life. But it's the same with God. God wants to reveal himself to us. God wants to impart things to himself. And God wants you and I to know him on a fundamentally other, complete, different level. But it comes about through being intentional. Hallelujah. We're, di we're disciples, right? The word disciple in it is discipline. Okay. And again, I, I don't know where it comes from, but it's like, we don't like discipline. We don't like that word. It's a negative word. I don't like to be disciplined because it means I'm going to get smacked or something. Right. Disciplined. All right. No one thinks that's a very pleasant word. But actually, you know, I remember, does anyone remember a book called The, um, the Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster? No, it was a book during like written during the service, it's still in print now, it's very popular. Um, so many millions of copies have been sold. I, I strongly recommend you buy it off Amazon, okay? It's only like about six pounds. It's called The Celebration of Discipline. And so what he did is he was drawing on things from the ancient church to help us in today's life. So let me give you an example. I, I'm all over the place today, but please forgive me. I'm trying to give you a vision of something here. So back in AD 230, okay? There were some people that were not content with Christendom. There was like, there must be more to Christianity than justice. There must be a deeper thing. And so some of these people, crazy people, went off into the desert and they became known as the desert fathers and the desert mothers. And where they, they lived in a place of solitude and quiet and, and in, in extreme situations, and they dealt with their flesh and they dealt with things in their life and they come to a place in God, a deep wondrous place in God and the wisdom that poured through these people's mouths was incredible so much so that people came out to them from all over the place to hear from their wisdom and then of course by AD 350 into around about AD 400 you have Constantine and he then said hey guys I'm a Christian let's legalize Christianity as the state religion of Rome and so what happened then the church had you know if you wanted to be a Christian in those days man it's costly stuff because it could literally cost you your life okay so suddenly that was taken away. So what did the church do? Ah, oh, we can relax now. We don't need to worry about getting our head chopped off. And slowly but surely, oh, church got fat and lazy, okay? A bit like we are today. We are in an affluent, comfortable, cozy society, and we've got very affluent and very cozy and very warm and, and indifferent to lots of things. And so this really provoked a lot of people in early Christians. They're like, no, I don't want this kind of cozy Christianity anymore. I'm going to be a crazy loon and I'm going to go off and join those desert fathers. And that's where you had the beginning of basically kind of monastic lifestyle where people cloistered themselves away and stuff. And you're thinking, well, I don't want to do that. That's a crazy thing to do. But then what happened is that those little places grew into cities. So you had whole communities of people that were living in cities where their whole focus was on developing a deeper walk with God and following in the ancient traditions of ancient Israel by reciting the Psalms at certain hours of the day, etc. Do you know why they do that? I don't know if you even know if they do. But basically, in, in the Old Testament days, you had uh, the morning in the, in, the, in the temple, you had the morning uh, incense went up around about eight o'clock. At nine o'clock, you had the preparation for the first sacrifice. Then at 12 o'clock, they tied the lamb to the altar. Then at three o'clock, the lamb was sacrificed, okay? Then, of course, when the temple was destroyed, they carried on those prayer times throughout the day. And that's why it says in your Bible, in the New Testament, you know, in the book of Acts and the Gospels, at the certain time of the at hour of the day they gathered to pray okay that's the tradition that came from there and then during that tradition they recited psalms and various prayers etc 
And of course, then we come to Jesus and he was handed over to be betrayed at nine o'clock. He was tied to the cross at 12 o'clock and he was crucified at three o'clock. So he, in his very death, he followed that pattern. Okay? And then the early church, which was primarily Jewish, carried on the traditions of praying the Psalms and praying at certain times. And we see in the book of Acts that at the third hour of the day or whatever it is, they all gathered together to pray. Okay? So that became a consistent thing. And so the very early church carried on that liturgical tradition. <gasps> Did he say liturgical? Yeah, liturgical tradition. They carried on with that. And the church still does that today. But you see, you might think, well, what's that got to do with us in the here and now? Let me tell you. As charismatic evangelical Christians, this is what we don't do. We don't pray with the wider church on a global scale. We say our own prayers and maybe we get together in a prayer meeting and we say prayers and we all amen it. But have you ever prayed prayers that you know at the same time you're praying that one billion other Christians are praying the same prayers at the same time? Because that's powerful. So that's an aspect of, of prayer that is lost in the modern day church. And I... I, when I first started learning this stuff, I thought, mm, I'm not really sure if I want to try that out. It sounds a bit, bit religious, if I'm honest with you. You know, a bit religious. So I, so I thought, I'll tell you what, I'll try it for two years. Two years to see if it actually works. Okay? So I've been doing this stuff now, praying certain uh, psalms and things at certain times of the day, even with <gasps> set prayers, right? And knowing that I am praying, not just by myself, but with the wider church, there is power in that. And I feel connected to the body of Christ now in a way that I've never felt connected before. Because it's not just me, myself, I and Jesus. It's now, it's now me, myself, Jesus and the wider church. So that's just one aspect. And then I learned things about Lectio Divina. Has anyone heard of Lectio Divina? Yeah, a few of you. It basically comes from the Latin word divine reading. And it's where you take a scripture and you just, as you look at it, you'll see a phrase or a word that will stand out to you. You start meditating on that phrase, allowing the spirit to start revealing things to you. Then from that revelation, you turn that back into praise and prayer back to God. Then you rest in the presence of God that manifests during that time. And then when the presence starts to wane, you come back to the scripture again. Then you get the download from the Holy Spirit again. You turn it back to prayer and then you rest in the presence. This is a form of Bible study that most Christians don't experience. You know, every now and then you pick up your Bible and just every now and then that word stands out to you. You go, whoa, praise God, I got a revelation from Jesus today. Well, with Lectio Divina, you can have it every single time you open your Bible, not once every three months. And that will supercharge your walk with God. It develops your intimacy with God. It develops your ability to hear God really clearly because you're hearing him all the time when you're doing this. All you need to do is open your Bible and start doing Lectio and immediately you're transported into this place where you're hearing God and he's revealing things of his word to you. Because you see, when you study your Bible, it gives you a very wide knowledge of the things of God. But it doesn't give you a very deep knowledge necessarily. But when you meditate on scripture, it doesn't give you a wide knowledge, but it gives you a very deep knowledge. So on one particular passage, you, man, you could just get reams and reams and reams and reams and reams of revelation. I tested it out once. I thought, what's the most obscure book I can use to test this on? So I did Leviticus and it was just the first four verses. I'm not lying to you. I had a, a book that thick and I filled it with notes just on the first four verses from Leviticus. First four verses. I was like, I'm not going to get anything out of this. And it was just constant, 
and all of it was it wasn't weird airy fairy you know pink bubble gum no, elephants in bubble gum trees it wasn't anything weird like that it all cross referenced to the new testament to jesus to the work of the atonement and everything it all just networked together and opened the bible to me in ways that i'd never experienced before gave me an intimacy with christ that i'd never had before and then he led me into the place of contemplation where learning to actually just sit and be still in his presence both on my own and learning to do it corporately and then sharing our experiences. And suddenly, my Christianity now isn't this frustrated, thin veneer. Now there's a gravitas to it. There's an importance to it because, as was said to us early, earlier, Romans 12 verse 1 talks about, you know, let, uh, Romans 1, 12, 1 to 2, talks about laying down your lives as a living sacrifice. Why do you think that is? It's because you are priests and only priests are allowed to make offerings to God. And the greatest offering you can make is yourself as priests. But again, this is not something that's taught in churches. This is, I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. It's like, do you know that you're all priests of the order of Melchizedek? Okay, some people look at me blankly and others are like, yeah, yeah, I kind of get it. Book of Hebrews, Jesus is a high priest of the order of Melchizedek. It says in the Psalms, you are a priest forever of the order of Melchizedek. Okay, we are uh, a royal priesthood, a royal nation. Okay, now I get this a lot. People I, I constantly barrage me like, oh, pastor, what, what do you think my ministry is? What do you think my calling is? And I see so many Christians running around like, what's my calling? How can I, how can I have a ministry? How can I have a platform so I, I can do stuff and people can listen to me or I can minister to people? And, and I see people frustrated and aching and longing to do something. And it's like, do you not know what you are? You see, my primary function is not as a prophet or a pastor. My primary function is not even as a husband or, or a father. My primary function is a priest to my God. And therefore, with it comes a responsibility, an obligation and a privilege. And because I understand that now, I've shifted my whole mindset. My mindset isn't anymore. Oh, how can I go and minister to man? How can I how can I have a, a glorious, great name in lights and all that nonsense that I was when I was younger because I was so egotistical. Now I'm in the place like I don't care about any of that. I don't care if I never do anything ever again, as long as I have the right and the permission to be able to worship God and to raise prayers up to him and to live this life, a sacrifice of self that I may live unto my God, that I may like be Apostle Paul where he says, I live my life and I pour it out as a drink offering for my Lord. I pour it out, hallelujah. That I'm not going to waste my life playing hours of Candy Crush. I'm not going to waste hours of my life scrolling through Facebook, but I'm going to waste my life and pour it out for the kingdom of God, not even just by telling people about Jesus but spending time in the prayer room and spending time in the presence of God because that is my primary ministry hallelujah I get a lot of people saying oh but Chris we don't want to be praying all the time we need to be doing the action we need to be getting out there and doing stuff okay how long have you been a Christian for about 20 years how long have you been doing the action stuff for 20 years so you think it's about time now you should be trying the other side of things as well like actually spending as a priest times in the presence of God you see, as a minister, I was guilty of idolatry in the early days of my ministry. How are you guilty of idolatry, Chris? Well, I'll tell you. I was more obsessed with spending time ministering to man than I was with God. So being a full-time minister of God, I was too busy to pray because I was too busy doing Jesus' work. Okay? What an idiot I was. So I go burn myself out, get depressed, 
feel constantly frustrated. Every time I tried to do something for God, it would fall apart like a $2 watch. And it's like, why is this, Lord? Until one day I was like at the point where I'm going to throw in the towel and quit this job. I've had enough of this. God gave me these prophecies about this is what the church would look like and this is what it would do. And it's like, God, no disrespect to you, but this quite clearly is not working. And I was blaming God for it because, you know, I'm too busy for Jesus. And then I went away on a holiday and this was the defining holiday because I was actually going to throw in the towel. I'd had enough of it. After four and a half years, it was awful. I've been doing this for four and a half years and it was awful. The worst four and a half years of my Christian life. And I was sold the lie like, when you become a full-time minister for Jesus, oh, it's great. You're just like living in the zone. What a load of rubbish, right? I had more fun at secular work than working for God at this time. And, and, and I went away on this holiday and I was like, God, what is the problem? And he said to me this profoundly interesting statement. He said, you need to live from a place of rest. Well, what does that mean? And he showed me from Genesis, he said, the day begins when? In the morning or in the evening? In the evening. Why do you think that is? I don't know. It starts from rest and then you go to work. And then he said to me, if you spent as much time in the prayer room as you do running around like a headless chicken, I will give you the words, I will give you the revelation, I will give you everything that you need, and then I will bless your ministry. And I thought, oh, sounds easy enough. And I did. And from that moment onward, I, I now spend, and you're probably, this is not saying this to blow my trumpet, I'm just saying this is like how mad I was back in those days. I now spend three to four hours a day in prayer. And because of that, literally, that when I started doing that, within months, everything just turned around. That we were stuck in this little, uh, this is a nice community hall, we were in like this really naff thing in the middle of nowhere. It was like Christendom's best kept secret. No one could even find the place, right? So we were stuck in this place and it was awful and everything evil and nasty happened in this place with all kinds of troubles. And once I, once I came to this, living from this place of rest, God just flipped the whole thing over and within about four months, we were out of that place. We literally grew that we could get out of there. And then we started renting in a big school and stuff like that. But that was all because I started learning to live from a place of rest and learning to live in the things of the spirit, not some kind of super spirituality Christianity, but actually very grounded, very down to earth Christianity, but was deeply rooted in the things of prayer. My knowledge of God was growing. My knowledge of the scriptures was growing. And my, and my, my sense of connectedness to my own faith was also growing. And so I'm sharing this because I want to challenge us all. I don't know where, where you're at with, with your walk with God, but I do know this for every Christian. It can always be better. I don't care how great your walk with God is, it can always be better. Because you see, we serve and love an infinite God. And therefore, there is no depths that we could ever fathom, that we could ever get to the end of with God. But you see, if you want those treasures from God, and you want to you mine the depths of the things of the Spirit, and, and get given lovely revelations, not weird stuff, but just really beautiful revelations from the scriptures. If you want those kind of revelations, if you want that kind of intimacy with God, where you can say, I know God, I actually know him. That's what God wants for everybody. You see, you see we, I don't think we understand that God is yearning and desiring and heartbroken that his bride to be were just like, oh, 
You know, when this, the scripture says in Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come, right? Talking about Jesus' return. <laughs> but a lot of Christians are like, no, please don't come just yet. Uh, I don't know if you're a young person, because I was like this when I was young. It's like, Jesus, don't come just yet. I want to get married first. You know, or please don't come yet because I want to have a, have a house first. And please don't come yet because I want to. It's just like, it, it, it just shows where our heart is at. Because actually, if we were truly, truly besotted and in love with our lover, then we would be like, Jesus, please, I want you now, I want you now, I want you now. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Please, I beg of you, please, I implore you, please, I love you, I delight in you, my love, my glorious God. Please be with me. Like Song of Solomon, where is my lover? Where is he? Where is he? And she's running around all the streets trying to find her lover. I'm shouting a lot, I'm sorry. That's the heart. That's the heart of one who is passionate for Christ. That is the heart that's yearning for her God, that's yearning for her lover. Jesus is my love. You know, I've, it used to feel really funny talking like a guy like that. Well, Jesus is my love. It's a bit weird. But that's just cultural nonsense. And in time, it was interesting that when I learned to speak the language of love with God, how much he responded to that. I mean, is this, it's funny, isn't it? How much do you respond when God uses language of love with you? Oh, I like that. You ever thought about using it back on him? No, I like to keep it formal. Okay, well, just try it. Yeah? There is a time and there is a place to be formal with God. Absolutely. I do believe that's important. Because you see, there are three stages to our life. There's what I call outer court life, then the holy place, then the most holy place. And you can't go straight to most holy place without doing life in the outer court and without doing life in the holy place. There's a process, there's a journey. And even when you get to the most holy place, you still have to live in the outer courts. You still have to live in the holy place. But our, our constant yearn, our constant passion, our constant aching must always be for the most holy place, to be in the very presence of God himself. And here's the amazing thing, as you see, I don't need to go hunting down the latest revival. I don't need to go over there to find the presence of God. I don't need to go to a meeting to find the presence of God. I can just immediately, right, listen, let's watch this, okay. Just always just shut your eyes right now. Holy Spirit, my love, my sweet love, please, Lord, would you be gracious to us and let your presence be with us here right now. Let your peace be in this place, my love. Let your presence be here right now. Hallelujah. Sorry to pull you out for that for a minute, but that's as easy as it is. And the more that you, you grow in that, that intimacy with God, when you call on him like that, he'll just be there. The Bible says all that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just about salvation. It means sometimes literally being saved. 
out of harm's way. He, he, we see this is why it's so profane to say the Lord's name in vain, because when you call on his name, he, his presence is there instantly. And then you're using it as a swear word, and it's like, oh, they're saying my name in vain. When we realise that, you see, to be given the name of God, Jesus, Jehovah, Elohim, and all these things, God is, God is allowing himself to be called upon. Just like if I, you know, Slava, I know Slava, I call on him and I phone him, I use his name because I have a connection with him, I have a friendship with him, same, same with his lovely wife as well. I have that, that connection. And the name is really important, isn't it? The name is that first point to, of contact, that first point of intimacy. So it's good to use God's names as well. But because I've spent time with him, if I call upon his name, I know that he will be there and his presence will manifest. I'm not some kind of Kenneth Copeland anointed man of God, or I don't know what you think of him, but whatever, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those kind of people. I'm just a regular Joe that spends time with God and I know that when I call upon him, his presence will be there. It's not because I'm some kind of super saint, it's just because I'm in love with him and he's in love with me. Now, can you imagine a whole church full of Christians like that? Now, I know we're all on a process. It's not making you feel bad. We're all on a journey, and I'm certainly not there. You know, I've got my foibles. I've got loads to work through. We're, but, but could you imagine a whole church of people that are living a life of being a, being a priest unto God, living this life of their lives being a living prayer and living worship, and that they're just this drink offering being poured out to their God in love? Can you imagine what the church would be like? It's not about being a culturally relevant church. It would be this countercultural church that is moving in the power and the authority of God. Why? Because it's a church that God can entrust with his power and his authority. This is what God wants to bring back to the church because we know it's what we're missing. It, we know it's what we're lacking. But I'm seeing God starting to move in wonderful ways again, like genuine miracles. There was a couple of weeks ago, um, there was this lady and, and her hand had paralysed. She had some kind of neurological fit when she was in hospital and she's got all kinds of problems. And her, her arm just literally paralysed and froze. If she moved it up to there, she could use it again but as soon as it came down to it it just locked up in all this pain all around her, heart, her arm and stuff and uh, you know when we were in hospital with her we sort of had a you know, quick gentle prayer for her and stuff and you know nothing really happened um, and then it was about a couple of weeks later she was at home again and she was like guys I really could can you and someone else just come around and just pray for me and I don't know I don't know if it's just it was just, I don't know what it was, whether it was the weather that day spiritually, because, you know, something was, was happening. And we went into that room. And as we were in that room, I just knew that I knew that I knew. I, could, I, could, I don't know how I know. It was just like there was something in the air and it was like I knew the Lord was agreed with this. Not aggrieved, agreed. That, that she would be healed. And so we went up to her. And I said, okay, let's just pray. And so the Holy Spirit came down and she just sort of closed her eyes and her hand was like that. And I pulled her fingers out like that. And the Holy Spirit said to me, just pour oil on her hand. So I poured oil on her hand and just started praying. And the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, Chris, do you believe I can do this? I was like, yes, I do believe you can do this. Bearing in mind, this is Great Britain. But I do believe that you can do this because I know you do this everywhere else. But I do believe that you can do this. Hallelujah. And then I took my hand away from her hand and her hand stayed open. I was like, oh. And then I knew then instantly she was healed. She didn't know it. She was like completely out in the things of God. And then when she came to, she was just like, oh, wow. Instantly, God immediately healed her. 
you know, because she had this condition that eventually she would be completely paralyzed and God just completely released her and healed her, hallelujah. And it's like, God will entrust his people with wondrous signs and wonders. But it, it doesn't, but brothers and sisters, I really beg you and I implore you, don't go down the trap of, of being a sign and wonder type Christian that's just, we just want God and we just want his power. And we just want his anointing. We just want his authority. But without wanting the love and the, and the closeness and the intimacy. We've had that for too long. And God's, I think God's tired of it. God's tired of people monetizing the anointing. God is tired of, 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 of his anointing being some big show for one man or one woman. He, he wants his body of Christ to be empowered again. He wants the fruits of the spirit and the, and the, and the uh, anointings of his spirit, like gifts of healing and gifts of prophecy and words of knowledge and interpretation to flow through his body again. But he doesn't just want to give it out to us. He wants us to be in a place where it's like it's a consequence of our relationship with him. Because let me tell you, you don't want to do it the other way around. God gave me a prophetic gifting years before I had the integrity and the character to cope with it. And you go, well, why would God do that? That's not, that's not right. Why would God do that? I tell you why he did it. Because it's my responsibility to disciple myself in Christ. And so when his spirit and the anointing came upon me to move in the prophetic, I wasn't ready. But it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. And he gave me this gifting that was way beyond my level of maturity. And it really, if I'll be honest with you, it messed me up because I had no one to help me, no one to help school me or disciple me in it. But it was only as I then started to knuckle down and grow in my walk with God and my intimacy with him that I grew into the jacket that he gave me. But I don't think for everyone's sake, you don't want to do it that way. Because it can mess your life up. You want to do it this way. You want to grow strong in the things of God. You want to be mature in the things of God and, and draw closer to God through prayer. And as a, a high priest, not as a high priest, but as a priest to your God. And then he will give you these cloaks and these mantles of things that he wants you to do. And to be a blessing to his body and a blessing to the world around about. Hallelujah. I mean, who wants this? I mean, really, who, who wants this? Because this surely is what must be the very thing that we get up for in the morning. Because if it's, if it's you know, I've played churchianity. I'm a church leader, okay? So I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I've played this game. I've played churchianity. And I'm so tired of it. I'm so fed up with it. Because it, it has the appearance of godliness, but it denies the power of it. Yet this subtle shift where the central focus is about Christ and eternal life is knowing him. And from that place and knowing him, not just in myself, by my own prayer room, but in the context of community as well, is a deeply enriching, empowering thing for the church. And then we've done other stuff as well that you might think it's got nothing to do with it, but actually has. So we've got like a big acre of land and we farm it. Okay, so we grow all our own fruit and veg and all that kind of stuff, and it's hard work. But it develops its own community. You've got people working together now and achieving stuff together, and just simple things like that. You know, we've got non-believers coming because they like the community aspect of it, because it makes them feel connected in some way. And that's the problem. As Christians, we are not feeling connected because we're living too much like our culture and not about the kingdom. You see, our culture is very much... Look at my selfie, look at me, look at my life, look at my perfect life, my perfect wife, my perfect car, my perfect job. Okay, it's all about me, 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 me. And our Christianity is individualized, um, me-centric, not Christ-centric Christianity. 
<laughs> and we wonder why we get fed up and we wonder why we get depressed and we wonder why we get low. It's because we were never designed to be worshipped. We were never intended to be glorified. It was always God and we were designed to worship him and love him and, and just, oh, just what words could say it, but just fall before him and worship and adore him and him alone. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Jesus, we just love you. We love you so much, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we love you so much. Oh, we love you so much. Now, I'm going to, that's pretty much all I'm going to say tonight on, on that subject. But I just want to encourage us all that God really wants us to press in deeper. Deeper than we've ever gone before. And yes, be discontent with what we have. All of us. Because there's so much more for us. But it's not about just doing it by ourselves. It's also about doing it together as a body. Because actually, we, we are the body of Christ. It's not a bumper sticker, it's not a slogan, it's not a t-shirt thing. We are the body of Christ. I say again, we are the body of Christ. People think it's like a concept or an idea. It's like, that's a great analogy there, Paul. No, you are the body of Christ. Hallelujah. And because Jesus was the suffering servant while he walked the earth, now he's in heaven. What do you think is going to happen to us as we are the body and carrying on his ministry on the earth? What do you think is going to happen to us? It means we must go through some of the crucibles, the things that he went through, because that's what perfects and makes righteous the church. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. This is another thing that no one teaches anymore. That sometimes as Christians, the best thing you can do is go through some stuff. Because, you know, I go through some like right meat grinders as a pastor sometimes, you know, getting and out comes this like mush at the end. That's me. OK, but now I welcome it. Now I desire it because I know if I can go through the meat grinder, it means that I will get a greater revelation of God. It means I'm going to change. It means I'm going to be transformed and I'm going to be taken from one degree of glory to another. Bring it on, Jesus. Let me suffer for your name. Amen. Hallelujah. See, in the old days, we used to call it the doctrine of mortification. <laughs> it's like, oh, great, who wants to preach on that? But, but that's a whole subsection of Christianity we don't touch on. Paul talks about the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. What's that about? I don't know, I don't care. I just, like, give me my prosperity, God, but I don't want none of that. Okay? But not realising that in dying is how you live. In becoming a slave of Christ is how you break free. In death is victory. In death is life. In becoming a slave is the greatest freedom you can ever know. Hallelujah. It's in death to self. It's in the crucifying the flesh that we can grow in the things of the spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. I'm getting all, get, getting all excited. Sorry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are such a wonderful God. God is so, I tell you what, he is, he is so loving towards us. Oh, man. He just loves us so much. And, and he wants to encourage you. I know I've ranted and raved at you, but he really does want to encourage you. He knows there's people here, you know, I, I don't know anything about you, but the thing is with, with ordinary people is that it look like they live ordinary lives. But under the hood, we're all really, we're a bit of a mess. And some of us are hurting quite badly if we're honest with ourselves. We just don't tell anybody about how we're really feeling. And especially with our pain towards God and our disappointment in our life as well. Let's be honest. Okay, that's another thing we need to do. We need to get real as Christians and admit the fact, you know what, God, I was really disappointed at that season of my life. I, 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 I've, I still feel broken over that particular time. Don't feel like I've ever mended right through what happened there. 
God is a good father. And, and he's come to, to put back together that which was broken. But when God restores something, he doesn't just restore it to its former glory. He takes it way beyond whatever it was before. But sometimes we have to let go of that hurt. Sometimes we find our identity in it. Sometimes we just have to forgive people. And sometimes, I know this might sound blasphemous, but it's for your own sake, not God's. But sometimes you have to say, I forgive you, God. Now, I know it might mess with your head a little bit, but it's, he doesn't need forgiveness. It's actually to help you in that process to soften your heart so that he can start ministering to you again. You see, forgiveness is a real key issue. If you're not forgiving people and you remain hard-hearted, that will block you from the things of God that will block you in your marriage, that will block you in your relationships, that will block you in the church, it will block you in your ministry. It will block you in every single way. Don't think that me holding on to this gripe or this issue is going to let me get away with it and just leave it a normal life because it ain't going to work. And it will just grow and fester and fester. And so I believe now Holy Spirit wants us to do some prayer ministry. Is that okay? Yeah? I appreciate but the time's nearly nine o'clock, so I'll only go on till 11, so you're all right. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to be quick. But I, I do believe, first of all, what we'll do is we'll pray corporately. Uh, and then people that want to have like just a bit of individual ministry, uh, if they, I'll pray and if we can have a few people, what, yourselves and minute, if there's a prayer ministry team here, just to do some ministry with some people. Because I do think God wants to actually encourage you and strengthen you and bring some healing to you. You know, I know we all want to see a lot of external healings, but actually the greatest healings that can often really radically change our lives is what is in here. You know, I was a right mess when I first got saved. God had did a lot of work in me and it's, uh, you know, I'm all right now. You know, um, so, so if, we just, if, we just, if we just close our eyes for a minute and we just do some corporate prayer, just, Lord, I, I pray Holy Spirit, Lord, right now, my love, that you will... Just, Lord, your heart is so much for these people. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you come by your presence now. And I just pray like a lovely blanket, warm blanket, you just rest upon these good people now, Lord, my love. Just rest upon them, Lord. And Lord, I just pray you right now, you start touching their hearts.